Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Table Talk, discussions of church, theology, and culture. My name is Luke Burrow. I am the Family Ministry Coordinator here at CBC Elderton. I'm once again joined by Andrew Hall, lead pastor here at CBC Elderton. Andrew, our two-part series that we had planned on the book of Proverbs quickly became a three-part series, as Mm -hmm. so often happens when you get sitting down and talking about scripture, it turns out there's more to talk about than maybe what you thought initially. So we we started this series uh, specifically because we are doing a sermon series through the book of Proverbs here at our church at CBC Elderton. And we know that many of our listeners are in our congregation and we really want to have them in mind as we do this podcast. We're grateful for anybody listening to us, uh, not a part of our church, but if you're not a part of our church, you'll be getting quite an insight into what we've got going on in our life here in Elderton, Ontario, because that's really the, the audience that we have closest to us and closest to our mind. And so we've been talking about Proverbs in relation to our sermon series. And uh, we began by thinking generally about wisdom literature and the book of Proverbs as a whole and how it connects maybe more than we think it does on first reading to the rest of scripture and redemptive history. And we spent our last episode, episode two, uh, talking a little bit more about the, the structure of the book, who, who wrote it, who it was written to, and how it's put together. But we, we sort of stopped near the end. We, we talked mm-hmm. about most of the, the book of Proverbs, but we, we decided to take an entire episode, a, a third episode here this week, to talk about the last two chapters of the book of Proverbs, because they're, they're particularly special in many ways. And in many ways, they tie together the conversations we've been having over the, the last two weeks in a, in a way that may, may make a, a writer of Hebrew wisdom literature proud with how it all works together as, as a structure. So why don't you tee up the, the conversation we're going to have here today? Yeah, we started uh, in our last episode, we talked about the, the macro structure of the book, that, that the book is actually setting us up with the expectation of the failure of the king. We've got Solomon in mind. And uh, so even chapters one through nine, it's framed fairly negatively. Uh, Solomon seems to be the wise king, but he's a royal fool. He doesn't choose wisdom. First Kings 11 makes that clear. He received great wisdom from God so that he could discern good from evil and judge rightly. And as as he says in Proverbs uh, chapter one, he talks about so that he might rule with uh, wisdom or with righteousness, justice, and equity. And yet he himself uh, married foreign women, brought in their foreign gods, set up high places to these gods. And so we have this sense of failure. And by the time we get to the end of the book, the wisdom that is required to live in this world, we've seen how it moves from uh, simple black and white to increasingly complex ideas. By the time we get to chapter 30 and 31, we have two oracles that really are speaking about something profound. Absolutely. And that really start in a place of, of despair in lots of ways, in a place that really reflects uh, where, where Israel was left off after after Solomon's great failure. In many ways, Israel never really recovered from that. And uh, verse or chapter 30 of the book of Proverbs really starts in, in sort of a dark place, doesn't it? Let's, uh, let's start there and let's see how we can go from, from this place beginning in chapter 30, this kind of 
place of despair. How do we get from there to, to hope? Because there is definitely hope to be found here at the end of the book of Proverbs. Absolutely. So first we'll, we'll talk about how these are oracles and we're going to come back to the fact that they're oracles. It's a pretty interesting word, isn't it? It is. It has this idea of some sort of a prophecy. We, we have oracles in numbers when we have um, Balak and Balaam. And so there's these prophetic words that are being spoken. And so in some ways, we're, we're being teed up by Proverbs chapter 30, verse 1, and Proverbs 31, verse 1, to expect that there's something prophetic going on, that it's not just wisdom literature, it's prophetic wisdom literature. Mm-hmm. And we have to have that in mind. And yet, Proverbs 30 begins with this great despair of agar. It is bleak it's mm-hmm. it's like psalm 88 and psalm 89 these great depressive psalms of uh, of the of the psalter and and you hear agar say that he is declaring i am weary o god and worn out surely i am too stupid to be a man i have not the understanding of a man i've not learned wisdom nor have i knowledge of the holy one who's ascended to heaven and come down, who has gathered the wind in his fists, who has wrapped up the waters in a garment, who has established all the ends of the earth. What is his name and what is his son's name? Surely you know. So that's not sounding very hopeful at all. No, not not sounding hopeful. And also uh, that that final question, what is his name and what is his son's name is, is pretty important. Uh, for any of you listening, I don't know if you've had the same experience I've had, but I, that's kind of been perplexing to me in the past. It seems like a very weird question to ask in in the context of this chapter, in the context of this despair. It it never really made a lot of sense to me, and so th- that this really is key in a lot of ways to where where we're going, isn't it? It it is because if we go back to the covenantal structure of the book, and if we think that. This book is written in light of two-path theology of Deuteronomy, and it's also written in light of the promise to David that you will have a son, and I'll be a father to him, and and he'll rule, that there's this expectation of the Davidic kingship carrying on forever. What we have is Agur. He's looking at the entire situation, and he is despairing. He's, He's saying, what is his name? Well, there really is no one who who has this wisdom. What's his son's name? We don't even know mm-hmm. um, because it looks like the kingship has has failed. And in light of that, then what we what we have that this this failure of the Davidic kingship has caused Israel to to have great distress, and they're greatly dis, discouraged. So that by the end of the chapter of chapter thirty. Uh, Agar can say, if you have been foolish, exalting yourself, if you've been devising evil, if you put your hand on your mouth, for pressing milk produces curds, pressing the nose produces blood, and pressing anger produces strife. What we have is really what Israel had become, that they had exalted themselves rather than the Lord. And it certainly does look like that instead of the success of God's promise to David, that there's been some sort of failure of the kingship. Absolutely. And, you know, this chapter ending with this idea of strife is also very indicative of what was going on That's right. in, in Israel as the 
as Solomon's son split the kingdom and as those two kingdoms would in many ways be at war with one another for generations and generations, one after the other for an exhausting amount of time. There, there definitely is here at the end of Proverbs 30, this, this sense that things aren't looking too good, aren't looking even too good in many ways. I'm sure that the question would be in the mind of many Israelites, things aren't looking great for God's promises either. Uh, going back to David, but also going back to Abraham. And if you want going all the way back to Genesis three, we're, we're waiting for a redeemer here. Mm-hmm. We don't see him. We, it doesn't seem like he's getting here anytime soon. What's, what's going on here is I'm sure on the minds of many people around this time. Yeah. There's actually a little clue that we get in verse five and we get a clue that it's not all despair. It's not all negative. In verse five, what we have are these words. He says, every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him. And to the astute reader, what you hear is a quotation. And the quotation is from 2 Samuel chapter 22, verse 31. To the astute reader, or maybe those of you who have good Bibles with really good reference notes too. That's right. And it really helps to pay attention to those, those notes at yes, times. for sure. So in the context, we, we need to go to Second uh, Samuel 22, and we need to understand the context then, because why is Agur quoting this verse? And in chapter 22 of 2 Samuel, David is speaking, we're told in chapter 22, verse 1, the words of this song on the day when the Lord delivered him from the hand of all his enemies and from the hand of Saul. So Saul being the king of Israel, David the king in waiting. David has been promised the throne. He's waiting for the throne. Saul has been chasing him down preparing to kill him. David has been fleeing, trying to find a way out. And it looks like, can God's promise to David come true? And when we get through this song of David, as he praises God for being faithful to him, for protecting him, we get down to verse 31. And it says, uh, uh, well, we could start in verse 29. For you are my lamp, O Lord, and my God lightens my darkness For by you, I can run against a troop and by my God, I can leap over a wall. This God, his way is perfect. The word of God proves true. He is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. And what we have in chapter 30 of Proverbs is Agur, and he's quoting these very words of David. David, who has been waiting for the kingship, waiting to to ascend to the throne, being chased by his his uh, predecessor who's, who's trying to kill him. And yet David says, God has been faithful. God has not forgotten his promise. God will succeed in his word. And so even in the despair that Agur has, that, that he feels like he is too weary, he is too worn out, too, too stupid to be a man. He looks at Solomon and his utter failure. He goes back to David And he goes back to this eschatological promise that there will be a son who will rule on the throne because every word of God proves true. And if you trust in the word of the Lord, if you fear the Lord, he is a shield for all those who take refuge in him. And so then suddenly what we have in Proverbs 30 and 31, these oracles are are wisdom prophecies, if you would. Yes, forward-looking and forward-looking to 
the ways that God would be faithful to his promises. That's, promises as we spoke about to, to David, to Abraham, and all the way back to, to Adam and Eve, this, this promise of the, the seed of the woman who would come and crush the head of the serpent. That's right. So if Proverbs 30 sounds negative, if it's ending with that you should be shutting your mouth instead of opening your mouth and speaking righteousness, justice, and equity, that you should be shutting your mouth, then Proverbs 31 is speaking in verses 8 and 9 about opening your mouth and Mm -hmm. judging rightly. And it's looking to the future. It's introducing this idea that there is a son this son, what is his name? We were, Egger asked that question. And what is his name? And suddenly we have the son. We have King Lemuel being taught by his mother, we're told, about this great wisdom of, of really a, a future leader who is coming. And we get a personification of wisdom as well the, at the, the very end of this book. So the, the final section of Proverbs 31 is a, is a pretty famous section. It's a, notably, it's, a, it's an acrostic poem mm-hmm. in, in Hebrew. So starts starts with the letter A, and then the letter B, and then the letter C all the way down. And, you know, not C, that's how we would do it in, in English, not in Hebrew, but y- you all get my, my point there. But in many ways, I think we've misunderstood Proverbs 31, we've maybe failed, failed to see these realities that we've been talking about today. So maybe we'll talk real, real briefly, Proverbs 31, 10 through 31, the, the woman who fears the Lord. Uh, what are some of the ways, Andrew, that we've uh, historically taken this passage in the church and uh, how are, well, what would be maybe some, some better ways that arise from digging a little more deeply into the book of Proverbs and understanding them in, in these types of ways that we've been talking about. Oh, so my mind immediately goes to Mother's Day. Yes, that's right. It, it immediately goes to Mother's Day and and the women hearing about this amazing woman and how mothers can be aspiring to this. And and so we, we hear these awesome uh, virtues of, of the Proverbs 31 woman. And you can become the Proverbs 31 woman. And I don't know how many women then have despaired Mother's Day because they feel like, I can't do this. All the while, these, these poor moms struggling to, to get a wink of sleep, struggling to read two verses of the Bible <laughs> on, on any given day, struggling to put food on the table in any way. I think, I think it would be fair to say that the end of Proverbs 31 here has been often used to, to crush young wives in the church yeah. and leave them feeling pretty weak and pretty hopeless. And that, that I do not think is the point here that we're, we're driving at something here that I think is far more profound. And so why don't we end our time here and this last episode on the book of Proverbs talking a little bit about that. Yeah. So, so we need to, we need to go back to chapter uh, 31 verse two and when Lemuel's mother is speaking to Lemuel, she, she says to him, what are you doing, my son? And those two words, it's been pointed out there in Aramaic. They're the only Aramaic words in this book of Hebrew poetry. And the only other place in the Old Testament where we have the words, my son, in Aramaic 
is in Psalm 2, which is uh, the, the song about the son who is going to ascend to the kingship and who is going to rule over the nations who are raging against the Lord. Uh, they rage against the Lord and against his anointed, which sounds a lot like David and what his experience was. Mm-hmm. And and so here we have this son who is the the, the one who is, is we're, we're looking forward to him. And what should this son be doing? Well, this son, he should be opening his mouth, we're told in verses eight and nine, to judge rightly and to judge with wisdom, justice, and equity. He's to be the one who, who speaks. And, and in this, what we have is this hopeful promise that even though Solomon's life ended in disaster, that there is a, woman, a, marriage, a marriageable woman that is out there for the king that he can ascend to the kingship and he can rule with wisdom and justice and equity should he marry well. But the marriage is not the, the typical marriage that we think of. It's the marriage of this man to wisdom. And in light of that, the wisdom that is needed, this is to be his bride. He's, he's to marry the woman who who exemplifies really what what has been laid out all throughout the book, that there are two women. There's the woman of folly and there is the wise woman, and that he should embrace wisdom as his wife, and that will enable him to rule well. And, and so all of this then starts to point us towards the fact that while Israel would have king after king after king who would fail, there is going to be a king who is going to come, who is going to succeed, and who is going to marry wisdom. Absolutely. There was only only one human who ever lived on this earth who had this kind of wisdom, who was connected with wisdom in this way. And it is the, the ultimate king, the final king, the king that all other kings were pointing to, namely Jesus. And so that's what we're what we're seeing here is that there is there's a better better king to come in light of Solomon's failure. And that's exactly how we can read the book in light of redemptive history and in light of Christ. Many people try to read this book so that they find Christ in these pithy sayings and they struggle to figure out what's the redemptive connection and and how does Christ fit into the book of Proverbs. But when you start to read Proverbs with this kind of flow of thought that there's the failure of Solomon, but there's the promise of God that every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in him that God will keep his promise to David, that there will be a son who will ascend the throne, that he will marry wisdom, but he will do more than marry wisdom. He is the wisdom of God. And Paul will tell us this in 1 Corinthians 1, that he, he is the wisdom of God. Christ mm-hmm. is the very wisdom of God. And he shows up and reveals to us that even though we fail as human beings, that there is one who keeps the law with all righteousness. And so if we read the book of Proverbs in a way that disconnects it from Christ we and the fear of the Lord, what we'll do is we'll think that we can have this self-improvement project. But when we see that this book will drive us to our knees and see we need wisdom so desperately, it will bring us to the Lord who is our wisdom himself in Jesus Christ. Absolutely. We, 
even if we were to keep everything that the book of Proverbs tells us to do, that, that wouldn't, wouldn't be enough. We are in need of a, of a wisdom outside of us, a righteousness outside of us. And we find that in Christ. May we, may we trust in him and his wisdom and his, his law keeping on our behalf and the, the forgiveness that is in him. I could think of no better way to end this, this small three-part series on the book of Proverbs. Thank you all for listening over these last few weeks. We're glad to have each one of you joining us and we look forward to talking with you again on another to be determined topic next week. Bye everybody. Bye.